I've already been stirred by the preaching of the Word, and I have been stirred by the singing of the Word. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. The book of 1 Kings chapter 18. And I'm going to begin to read in verse 36. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 36. And tonight I'm preaching on this subject, fresh fire. Fresh fire. From the book of 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 36. And the Bible says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I've done all of these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord is he is God. Oh, God in heaven, I pray in that name which is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, and to ask for what I cannot borrow, what I cannot buy, and what I do not deserve. I ask tonight for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that I might preach as a dying man to a dying world. Lord, I must decrease, and you must increase. It's all about you. It's not about us. I pray, Lord, the only Spirit free to work in this service tonight is the Holy Spirit. And I pray you will set the captive free. And I want to confess boldly right now, Lord. I want to confess the devil is a defeated foe. In Jesus Christ, you are above all. You are preeminent. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. Elijah is known as the prophet of power. And the secret of his power was his prayer life. When you study the subject of spiritual awakening and revival, you will see there is a connection between prayer and spiritual awakening. On the day of Pentecost, when the fire fell and the wind of revival blew, the people were praying. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, the Bible says, when they prayed, the place was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. And the Scripture says in the book of Luke concerning the baptism of Jesus that when He came up out of the water in the arms of John the Baptist, it says, as He prayed, the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon Him. So there is this tangible connection between prayer in the hearts and lives of God's people and spiritual awakening. Now, I want you to understand the context of Elijah's prayer here for spiritual awakening and revival. The Scripture teaches us 
that Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a duel. There's an old classic movie called High Noon, starring Gary Cooper. It's an old western. It's a, it's a classic. And in the movie, Gary Cooper, who plays the sheriff, single-handedly stands up to a band of outlaws. Nobody will stand with him. All the townspeople are hiding behind their closed doors, peeking out the window as he, with his six-shooters, takes down that whole gang of bloodthirsty outlaws. At the end of the story, it's a moving picture as he, without saying anything to those townspeople, loads his wife up in a buckboard and rides off leaving those cowards behind. It's the kind of man Elijah was. The prophets of Baal were on the rise. The people of God were in retreat. Any true prophets were being hidden in caves. But there's one lone man with the guts to stand up for truth named Elijah. And he says to that wicked King Ahab, I want you to gather up all your false prophets of Baal all 450 of them on top of Mount Carmel because I'm challenging them to a duel. It was high noon on Mount Carmel and he was willing to stand alone. As he stood there on one side were the prophets of Baal with their false gospel. And on the other side were the people of God in a backslidden condition. They'd gotten in a rut. They'd become lukewarm. They'd lost their first love. They were bound up in the traditions of men and wouldn't have known God Almighty if he'd have hemmed them up in a broom closet and hit them over the head with a Bible as big as a ping pong table. They represent the church in America at this very hour. Now notice when he delivers his simple message, he doesn't deliver it to the prophets of Baal. He delivers it to the people of God. He says, how long will you halt or hesitate or limp between two opinions? How long will you be lukewarm? How long will you compromise? How long will you be spiritual duds? How long will you be in a rut? How long will you be bound down by dead tradition? He doesn't preach to the prophets of Baal. Why? The message of revival is not for the lost. The message of revival is for the saved. You see, if you've never been saved, you don't need to be revived because you've never been vived. If you've never been saved, you don't need the message of revival. You need the message of resurrection because you're dead in trespasses and sin. And I've got good news. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit that entered the tomb of Jesus and raised Him from the dead, that same Holy Spirit will walk, walk right in your heart and raise you from the dead. He said, this is what we're going to do. He said, you prophets of Baal, you just build your altar there. Put your sacrifice on that altar. Then I'm going to build me an altar, and I'm going to put a sacrifice on my altar. And he says, the God who answers by fire, he says, that's God. He, he, he's the one that's really God. And so the prophets of Baal, he, he said, you can go first. He said, I'm going to give you a head start. And they began to dance around, and they began to pray. 
And uh, we live in a really delicate time when preachers are supposed to be very careful and we're not supposed to offend anybody. Doesn't matter how whacked out and messed up they are, we're not supposed to say anything. But Elijah never took that course in seminary. He, he stands over there and he says as they pray and nothing happens, where's your God? Sounds like a bunch of you guys at a football game trash-talking the other team, you know. He says, where's your God? Maybe he's taking a bathroom break. Maybe he's, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's taking a nap. Well, they just got more worked up in a frenzy. The Bible says they began to cut themselves, and they began to shed their own blood. And I'm going to say this right now. It is a false God that demands destructive actions in the lives of that God's followers. Let me tell you, my friend, it's a false God that tells someone to strap a bomb on and walk in to a public place and blow up innocent people so they can be guaranteed a place in paradise. It's a false God that says get in an airplane and hijack it and ram it into a building and kill as many people as you can to guarantee you a place in paradise. That's a false gospel. Let me tell you the true gospel, my friend. The true gospel is that God says to a lost and dying world, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son. You don't have to die. He's going to die in agony and shame on an old rugged cross. And I'm telling you, you don't have to kill somebody to go to paradise. If you receive him as your Savior, I'll give you life and you'll go to paradise forever all because of the love of my son, Jesus Christ. That's a false gospel. You don't have to pray at a wall or march around a cube or get down and kiss the toes of a statue of the Virgin Mary. Just come to Jesus Christ in faith and you can be born again. Well, they were finally exhausted. And he said, all right, I'm going to rebuild this altar. That's the first thing we got to do. And I just want to say this. The Bible says he chose 12 stones, one for each of the children of Israel. It's interesting to me that at this time the nation of Israel was divided, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. After the death of Solomon, civil war, there was a division. They worshipped in two different places, and they had two different capitals. The capital of the southern kingdom was Jerusalem. And yet he says that he took 12 stones one for each of the tribes of Israel, and he rebuilt that altar. You know why? Because God doesn't accept division, and God doesn't accept strife. And let me tell you what hinders the prayer for revival. It is strife in the church. No kingdom that is divided is going to stand against the wiles and the schemes of the devil. And the devil knows he can neutralize the average local church by getting them off course because they begin to fuss and fight over something that does not matter, that's of no eternal value, that has nothing to do with the convictions of the Holy Bible. And as long as we're beating up on each other, we're not standing shoulder to shoulder against the armies of darkness. The Bible says they were in one accord in one place when they began to pray. And we need a revival of unity in the local church we may not agree on everything, 
But I think we can agree on the main things. I think we can agree that the Bible is the infallible, inherent Word of God. I think we can agree that there's one way to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. I think we can agree that He's more than a man. He's the God-man born of a virgin, living a sinless life, nailed to an old rugged cross up from the grave. He arose, He ascended, and sat down at the throne of God on high. And one of these days, without sinning to salvation, He's ripping open the sky, and He's coming back, my friend, not to take sides, but to take over. Can we not agree on that tonight, for goodness sakes? So then the stage was set. But he said, now wait a minute. I want you to know, not going to be any smoke or mirrors or hocus pocus. It's no tricks. It's not a magic show. He says, we need some water. And he says, I want you to soak that sacrifice in water. Soak it again, soak it again until the water ran off of that sacrifice and filled the ditch that he had dug around it. And then he begins to pray. And I want you to notice three things about his prayer. First of all, I want you to notice that it was brief. It says in verse 36... And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that the prophet came near and said, There is nothing that will give you a sense of the nearness of God like prayer. When we pray, my friend, we sense His closeness. And listen, prayer is not just about getting something from God, but when I'm in prayer, God gets a hold of me and in the midst of my circumstances in prayer, there is a connection that lifts me out of my situation into heavenly places. He says, come near. And the Bible says, he said, because prayer is a conversation with God. Jesus said the Pharisees think they're going to be heard because they have these long, flowery prayers. Prayer's not a performance. Prayer is a communication. It's a talk. It's a speaking to. It's a listening to. It is an ongoing conversation with God. And listen, it's, this is not a... This didn't go on and on and on. You know, we preachers, I get tickled at myself. Because sometimes, especially in these meetings, we'll use prayer to sort of clean up the announcements we forgot to give at the end of the service. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> well, we've had a great night tonight at the revival here at Woodland Hills Baptist Church. Let's all stand for prayer and want you to be back tomorrow night for our revival meeting. Let's pray together. Dear Lord in heaven, we thank you for this great prayer. And oh God, if you could just remind these folks that tomorrow is the last night to give in the love offering. And Lord Jesus, we're grateful for the pizza party we're having tomorrow night for the students. And Lord, if the ladies could remember to have the pizzas already cooked at the church at 615 in the fellowship hall, we'd sure appreciate. That's not prayer. Have you noticed in the Bible that some of the greatest effects or results in prayer was from brief prayers? I'm not saying you shouldn't have an all-night prayer meeting, but I'm saying in our everyday Christian life, I found that my prayer life is short bursts of believing prayer throughout my day. Simon Peter is in the boat and he says, Lord, if you bid me to come out there and walk with you on the water, I'll do it. 
Now let me just say this, don't critique him. He may have sunk, but he went 10 or 12 feet. That's more than anybody else. I'd rather walk 10 or 12 feet and sink than to never get out of the boat. He got out there, and as long as his eyes were on Jesus Christ, he was fine. But he looks at the waves, and he listens to the howling wind, and he begins to sink. And when he begins to sink, he doesn't say, every head bowed and every eye closed. Oh God in heaven, thou art the great one who is justified, sanctified, glorified. He said, Lord, save me. And the Bible says Jesus reached down and lifted him up and gave him a personal escort the rest of the way. What do you do when you're in a gym? Lord, save me. What do you do when the doctor says there's no hope? Lord, save me. What do you do when your marriage is failing? Lord, save me. Simple prayer. And what about that old tax collector, that publican up there in church and that old Pharisee been a member of that church forever. Probably the, one of the founding members of the church. And the Bible says he prayed thus with himself, and he said, oh God, I'm so grateful. I'm not like all these other heathens. I fast, I tithe, I pray. It would have been in our day. He'd say, I've been a member of this church for 95 years, oh God. <laughs> and he said, and I'm glad I'm not like that old publican over there. That's, and the publican, the publican the tax collector, beat his breast. Why? Because he knew salvation is a matter of the heart. He knew his, his problem was heart problems. And he said, God, be merciful. And that word merciful there is the same word that refers to the mercy seat. He was thinking of the slain lamb that was on that mercy seat. He says, in other words, Lord, may... God be mercy, God be mercy city, God be merciful. God, I'm trusting in the blood. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Bible says he went home justified. Or what about the thief on the cross? I mean, he's hanging there hurling insults with the other guy, Jesus Christ, but suddenly Christ is saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Our Lord is preaching. Praying, speaking from the cross. And suddenly the Spirit of God grips the thief on the cross. And he says a simple prayer. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered and said today, No, you're not going to purgatory. Your soul's not sleeping in the grave. He said, it's not hope so, think so, might be so, maybe so. He said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. This little prayer right here is 63 words in our English Bible. This man of God stood up with 450 prophets of Baal looking on and the people of God over here in a sad spiritual state and he prayed with 63 words and in response to his prayer, God ripped open the sky and sent down a heavenly flamethrower. It was brief. Second thing I want you to notice about this prayer is it was God-directed. 
It was God-directed. Prayer is, I'm not praying to you, and you're not praying to me, and we're not praying to statues. We pray to God. He's praying directly to God. Look at the content of this simple prayer. The Bible says in verse 36, it was at the time of the evening sacrifice. I love this. Three hours before sunset, every day they had this sacrifice that looked forward to the cross. Did you know that Elijah was captivated by the cross? You said, well, all those years, oh yeah. I mean, see, all those sacrifices, as Brother Malcolm preached last night, they're all looking to the cross. They're all picturing the cross. And in the Word of God, in the book of Luke chapter 9, in Luke's record of the transfiguration, he says, as Peter, James, and John are on that mountain, they see two heavenly beings, two guys that have come from heaven and are talking to Jesus Christ. And one of them is Moses, and the other one is Elijah. And the Bible says they were talking to Jesus about his upcoming death. They were, Lord, we want to talk to you about the cross. Now, I got to thinking about that. What on earth were they talking to him about the cross for? And I don't know, but you don't know either. But I wonder, maybe Elijah said, Lord, on behalf of all of those Old Testament saints that have been looking towards the cross, we want to cheer you on because we're all in heaven on credit, Lord God, and we're looking for the day when you cry, it is finished. We have boldness to enter into the presence of God because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And notice... He says in verse 36, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He's the covenant God. God made a covenant with Abraham. It was renewed in the life of Isaac and Israel. And a part of this covenant was God's promise to never abandon his people. God says, I'm entering into a covenant of grace, and I will never abandon you. Well, we've entered into a new covenant of grace. And Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And the writer of the book of Romans, the apostle Paul said in chapter 8, nothing will separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ because we're in a new covenant. And somebody here tonight says, I've made some bad choices. I've just done some goofy stuff. And I feel so far away from God. I just want to tell you tonight, boldly, you may have left God, but God never left you. And God's never given up on you. And God loves you. And like the father of the prodigal son, he's sitting on the front porch waiting for you to come home. And when you come home, he's not going to beat you up and tell you off. He is going to wrap his arms around you and he's going to say, I thought you'd never get here. That's the kind of God we serve. Tell you something else. When he said he's the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he is saying what God did for Abraham, God can do for me. What God did for Isaac, God can do for me. What God did for Israel, God can do for me. And what God did for Elijah, God can do for you. The same God. And then he said, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel. I mean, the altars are broken down of of, of true worship. True prophets have been martyred. God, you've been replaced by a man-made idol. Look at this sad bunch over here. Look at the indifference in your people. And Lord, we need you to show up and demonstrate that Buddha's not God, Muhammad's not God, Krishna's not God, 
A stick's not God, the sun's not God, the moon's not God, but you, the God of the Holy Bible that made everything and hold it all together, you're God. We need you to show up and demonstrate in majesty and glory that you're alive. And in times of revival, we know God's always present, but in times of revival, God will manifest His presence. You'll sense His presence. You'll feel His presence. And you'll see the evidence of God working in His people. And then He said in verse 36, I am your servant. That's amazing to me. This is the guy that closed heaven with prayer. There was a drought. He prayed, God just turned the spigot off. And here's the guy that defied and struck fear in the heart of a king. I mean, here's a man who raised the dead. He raised the dead. Here's a man that experienced the divine provision of a holy God in a miraculous way. You know what I got to thinking about? How that the last decade began? Fear, trembling, Y2K. Some of you don't remember that. Some of you still got a case of potted meat down in your basement (laughs) that you bought so you could survive when everything collapsed. But let me tell you something, in a time of famine, oh, Elijah's sitting out there with a brook cherith, and God, before UPS, before FedEx, listen, before Amazon, before, before any of these delivery systems, God, in the beaks of birds, air mail delivered to him in a time of famine, T-bone steaks and laid them right in his lap because my God will supply all my need according to his riches. And yet when he refers to himself, he doesn't sound a big shot. He says, Lord, I'm your servant. Being a servant is the highest position you can occupy in the work of God. Just a servant. No big shots, no entourage, no Christian celebrities. Nobody going into heaven giving autographs. You know, Moses saying, would you sign my copy of the Ten Commandments? No siree, brother. It's all about Jesus. Just to get to be a servant. Brother Mark, just to serve him with song. Brother Charles, just to serve him as a pastor. Just to serve him. All you men who are evangelists, We need a revival of service in the church. Everybody wants to be in the spotlight. Everybody wants fame. Everybody wants attention. Let's get the spotlight off of us. Let's put the spotlight on Him and be content to be a humble servant. Lord, I'm your servant. And then He said, I've done all these things. Is what He says in this prayer. I've done all these things at your word. Not cleverness, not schemes, not manipulation. He says, the Word's sufficient. I've just done what the Word says. And then he says, hear, oh God, this prayer. I want these people to know that you're God and I want them to turn. So I'm just saying his prayer was brief. I'm saying his prayer was God-directed. And then I also want you to notice his prayer was effective. Look at what happens when he prayed. And listen, James talks about this, the fervent prayer of a righteous man has much effect. And it says that Elijah was a human just like we are. The Bible says when he prayed, 
the fire of the Lord fell. Now I want you to notice it came down. Revival's not something you work up. Revival is something that comes down. Only God can send a Holy Ghost revival. And notice when the fire came, it licked up the dust and everything that was on that altar, lest anything be left behind that could be turned into a relic or an idol to receive the worship of man. And when people say they're having revival, but they're magnifying experiences, my friend, that's not revival. Revival is always about getting everybody's focus on God. And the fire fell downwards. And notice what happened when the people saw it. Now, I'm telling you, this is a crowd that they were sophisticated and, and they, you know, they, they, they drank their tea with their little pinky extended. Let me tell you right now, the pastor's too loud and they've been clapping in them song service and somebody's saying amen and hallelujah and we got to shut this thing down, man. But notice the whole bunch turns into holy rollers. The Bible says it like... It says in verse 39, Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. I mean, how could you just, how could you not be moved? When the fire falls on that altar and you see it, they fall on their face and they say, The Lord, He is God. Number one, have first place in my life. But I want to tell you, there's a greater experience than this. A greater sign than this. The fire falling on the sacrifice that was on that altar speaks of what happened on the cross. Because when Jesus died on the cross, He bore in His body the curse of your sins and my sins, and God poured out His wrath. Judgment poured out His wrath on your sins and my sins on Jesus Christ who took our place on our cross and became our substitute and with his own blood poured out his soul to death and satisfied the wrath of God against our sin. And how can we stand and look at the blood-stained face of Jesus Christ and not fall on our knees and say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. It's kind of like this when it comes to revival. An airplane can't land unless there's a smooth, long place that will accommodate the landing. And many times that airplane will circle looking for a place to land. I believe, Brother Charles, God is circling looking for a place to land. He, he's looking for a landing pad. Will it be this church? Will it be your heart? My prayer is, God, may my heart be a landing pad. Come, Lord God, and send me fresh fire. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, let's all reverently stand to our feet. And I'm going to, as we stand, ask the pastor to come and the staff. And we always want to make sure before we leave that we give everybody a chance to be saved. If you've never been saved, you come down and take the pastor by the hand or one of the staff and say, I'm not sure if I die tonight, I go to heaven. And they'll open a Bible and show you how to be saved. Have a gospel conversation with you. There's somebody here tonight needs a revival. 
Somebody here that you, listen, it's not that you've, you're you off in sin or you've disobeyed God. You've just gotten beat up by the devil. You're tired and weary in the work. You've been pushing back the darkness. and It's a thankless task in this world. And the devil has accused you and condemned you, filled you with fear and doubt, and you need to get down here and let your heart be a landing pad. And say, Lord, send the fire. Lord, I'm the wood. Lord, you send the fire down here on me. Holy Spirit of God, move in this invitation time. Lord, send a revival. Let it begin in me. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. So we have this music. Would you come right now? Here's an open altar. Lord, send the fire. God's speaking to you. Come on. Just as Trevor plays. Are you learning to lean on Jesus? Would you do that tonight? You've heard the truth. You've heard the word. What are you going to do with it? What choice are you going to make? God's people said, amen and amen. Oh, hadn't it been good this week? Amen. <laughs> amen. 
pray for Brother Herb and Lisa be leaving in the morning, headed to Bridge City. We'll have an evangelism rally there with the Wisnets and, and uh, Brother Herb and Ms. Lisa. I'll be there with them, so you pray for us. Regular services tomorrow night. Y'all are on your way back to Mims. And then after Brother Herb leaves Bridge City, he's on his way to Mims in Conroe. And pray for them and that uh, conference there. Great, great conference. Uh, praise the Lord for how he's spoken tonight. I pray that, uh, man, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ before you walk out of this place, find somebody.